though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is the resurrection. And because Jesus is the resurrection, he promises that everyone who believes in him, everyone who is united in him, will be joined in his resurrection. That's the truth. We need to know the truth. And this morning, this morning, I want you to not only know the truth, I want you to love the truth. I'm reminded of Paul's final words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8, Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have, remember the words, loved his appearing. The day of the appearing of Jesus is the day when we finally see our resurrected Lord. And it is the day then that we will share with Him in His resurrection life. And I want you to love that appearing. I want you to anticipate with longing the day of His appearing because though you die, you will live. What will that day be like? Maybe it'll be a day like today when the skies are just glowing blue with only a few little clouds floating along. Your body has already been buried in Mount Albion for several decades, but you died in hope. You died believing that Jesus had risen from the dead for your salvation. You died believing that even though you were a sinner, Jesus is your Savior and your righteousness. In other words, you died a Christian. And then, when you died, strangest thing of your existence happened. Your you-ness, the, the you who has suffered and rejoiced and learned and loved, the you who had fought against addiction and learned to forgive after being horribly mistreated, the you who still had scars on your soul from the sorrow of children you had reared but who had grown cold to you and your God. Your you somehow left your body as your weary heart slowed to a stop. One moment you were lying in a bed with your loved ones nearby, and the next moment somehow your body was gone, but you were in the presence of a great city looking upon a great king. You know this king. You have spent the last 50 years of your life hanging on every word that he ever said. You have spent your weak, fragile life empowered by the spirit of this king, learning to train your heart to love God the way this king loves God and to love your neighbor the way that this king loves you. You have memorized and meditated on the words of this king. You have spent nights crying out to him in sorrow. And days you have spent thanking him for the precious gifts that he has given to you. You've never laid your eyes on this king before. But he has given you his mind. And you are well acquainted 
with what he thinks and with what he values. Though you had never seen him, yet you loved him. You believed in him and you rejoiced in him with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. And now you have received the goal of your salvation, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You belong to this king. He's your king. You glance down and notice the scars on his hands, reminders of the cost of your salvation. You had been a sinner. You had been a sinner before the king saved you, and you had managed to continue sinning even after the king saved you. Looking at the scars on those hands, reminds you of the day when you first believed that those scars were real. You remember when you first understood that this king had actually created you and that you were living your life in rebellion against this king. You remember the shame of realizing that you owed your entire existence to this king, and yet you had been committed to ignoring his very reality just so you could make yourself feel good, just so you could do what you wanted with your selfish soul. You remember the sorrow that produced in your soul a repentance that led to your salvation, and you never regretted that moment. You remember the earnestness that that godly sorrow produced in your life. You had suddenly realized that your body was the temple of the spirit of this king. You had understood that you had been bought for a price with the price of the blood of this king before whom you were standing. The scars on those hands had made a tremendous impact on your life. You were never perfect. You had always had some particularly fierce battles with self-centeredness and pride. And yet the scars on the hands of your king, though you had never seen them until that moment, you had always believed they were there. And they had always reminded you that you did not belong to yourself. As you look back at your king, as you look at him in the eyes, something else catches your eyes over his shoulder. You catch a glimpse of a building over his shoulder towards the center of the city. You recognize the ornate structure of the temple immediately. And you're reminded that you have been more on the mind of your king than he has been on your mind. You remember that this king is also a priest. And he has been interceding for you since the moment that you first began to believe in him. Those scars in his hands are reminders that he too had suffered in the days of his flesh on earth. In fact, he had been tempted in all of the ways that you have been tempted. Except that unlike you, your king had never sinned. And because he had never sinned, not only was he able to offer himself on the cross as your perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice for your sins, 
He was also able to spend the rest of your life interceding for you on your behalf before the Father. He had heard your cries. He had listened to your sleepless nights. He saw when your soul succumbed once more to the temptation that He had permitted in your life. And He had faithfully pled the efficiency of His sacrifice for your sins. He had died for you. He purchased for you the sanctifying grace of His intercession. His sacrifice on the cross had not only been offered sufficiently so that anyone in the world who believed could be saved. No, His sacrifice had been efficient for you. He died in a particular way for you to give you the grace of His intercession and advocacy. This king does not intercede for everyone. No, he intercedes for you because he chose you. And he intercedes for all those whom he predestined to be adopted as sons of his father. This king has loved you with a special love forever. And now here you are before him. But you look down at that moment. You're standing here before your king, and all of a sudden you're a little embarrassed. A moment ago, when you were lying in that bed with your loved ones around you, you had been embodied. Two hands, two feet, a head with a brain in it. True, it was a weak body. It was perishable. In fact, it had perished. It was natural. In a certain sense, it was dishonorable. But it was still your body. Now here you are before your king. Your king who has a glorious and imperishable body. It's a physical body and yet somehow it's a spiritual body that he has. It's, it is real. In fact, compared to the realness of your former body, your former body seems more like a shadow. He is really before you. The scars on his hands are quite real. And here you are, without a body. Weird, you thought. This moment reminds you of those words of Paul that one day you will be clothed with a body like His body, like His glorious spiritual body, one day you will not be found naked. And yet here you are. Before your King, you are spiritually whole. You have reached the goal of your salvation in a certain sense. Never more to sin. And yet, in another sense, you are naked. Somehow it was you, but without a body. And from that first moment in the heavenly city, from that moment on, you had been waiting for this moment. The moment of the glowing blue skies. 
when Jesus takes you back to earth to be with Him. Between that first moment and this moment, you had spent decades in this heavenly city in humble adoration and worship of the King. You had now lived decades in this world where the soundtrack of the world is not just the chirping of the birds and the rustling of the breeze, but it's also a refrain. Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty who was and is and who is to come. Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Worthy are You to take the scroll and to open its seals, for You were slain, and by Your blood You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Great and amazing are Your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are Your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship You, for Your righteous acts have been revealed. Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. The soundtrack of heaven. Over those decades, you have come to realize how humbling was the promise of this King that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These decades have been a project of Seeing God. Discovering the endless, boundless glory of God. You've come to realize that God is showing His glory in literally countless ways. His providential glory in sustaining the universe and every single life in it. You've had a bird's eye view on the way in which the eternal God and Creator has sustained all things moment by moment, literally holding the universe together by the word of His power. But you have not only seen the glory of God in providential ways, you have also seen the glory of God in special, particular ways. You have gotten a glimpse of how centuries of the special planning of God and the special moving of His Spirit eventually led to your confession that this King standing before you is the Messiah, the Son of God. It began long before your mommy and daddy. In fact, as God has shown you, this special love of God for you has been working through centuries. It was because of the plan of God that your great-great-grandfather moved to this city and not that city. And because of the special plan of God that your great-grandma married this Prince Charming and not that high school sweetheart. 
And this eventually ended up so that you would hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you would be saved. Over these decades in the heavenly city, as you have explored and you have learned, you have been stunned over and over again at the careful, particular, righteous grace of the glory of God. You have listened to others who have explained to you not only the gracious mercy of God, but the righteous and pure justice of the glory of God as well. You have come to understand some of the circumstances in your own life through which God was protecting the righteous honor of His name, which you had been carrying around in a careless manner. You have returned to the King over and over to praise Him for His righteous and faithful work in your own life, even though you had not understood it at the time. These past few decades have been the furthest thing from boring that you could imagine. And yet, they were still decades that were filled with yearning for all the glory that you have seen and heard. There was still something missing. The promise of your King was never to bring you to heaven and leave you floating around as incredible and wonderful as it has been. No, His promise had been, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. Yet shall he live. One day you will live. Your body, which was placed six feet below the dirt in upstate New York, your body will be raised and you will live. You will experience the blessing of abundant, blessed, physical, and embodied life on earth in the presence of your King. That's what He promised to you. And so, although these decades in the presence of your King have been terrific, you're still waiting for a day. And then came this moment. This moment when the skies shone blue and the King's voice bellowed through the heavenly city, Today's the day! Today's the day when your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Today's the day and the trumpet blows. Your soul leaps, which is to say that you leap because right now you're just kind of a soul. You've spent these last few decades in this strange bodiless souling existence and you know what comes next. Your king comes quickly to get you and all the other saints. You're standing there beside Abraham and David and Habakkuk and Peter and Augustine and John Calvin and Charles Spurgeon and even, even Jacob Arminius. The moment reminds you of the starting line of one of those big marathons that you ran when you were still in your embodied mortal state. Your king comes and as he takes you back to earth with him, you're descending, and in the quickest of moments, you suddenly realize that you are embodied once more. And it's your body. Same size and shape and color and 
gender as it's always been. After all, it's you. But strangely enough, it's a different you. It's a fitting you. Suddenly you realize that it was entirely fitting and appropriate that your body, while you were still a sinner and a still-being-sanctified saint, was a perishable, inglorious body. That was entirely fitting. And now you've just been sanctified. Jesus has cleansed you and perfected you. And so now you realize it is entirely fitting that this body, your body, as far as you can tell, the body which you have always had, which has made you, you, it is entirely fitting that this body is now a glorious, glorified, and spiritual body. It matches your sanctified soul. This is what the king had always intended. Now you finally bear the image of the man of heaven. You realize that his promise, I am the life, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, that promise was true. Though all these years, your body had been in the ground, you had always been alive in the presence of your king. And yet you also realize this is the moment when Jesus keeps his promise. I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You are now living just as he is living. You are living and about to spend the rest of forever in this glorified, completed body, wanting nothing more than to bring glory to this great King forever. And as time in this new age, time in this new eternity, as time goes on, you realize that you are in fact still you. The skills and the abilities which God had given you by His grace from the time that you were young in your mortal life, they were still your skills and abilities in this new and glorified body. God had created you in His image and likeness. And now, in the name of the King and with all the other glorified saints, now you are truly able to have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The Father has given the dominion of this creation to the Son, to the King, for the king to exercise authority over it. And you, the servant of the king, made in his very image and likeness, bearing the image of the man of heaven, you and the rest of the saints are continuing this task with the skills and the abilities and the talents given to you by this king. You are exercising the dominion of this king. You're starting to get a glimpse of what the glory looks like when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what you were created for. This is what you were saved for. This is what you were glorified for. Nothing in the universe 
is bringing you as much contentment and peace and satisfaction as using the talents and the abilities given to you by the King, working together with all the other saints, exercising His dominion over the earth. This is life. When Jesus says, yet shall He live, this is that life. This is the life He was promising. It is life with this King. For this King. Glorifying this King. In service to this King. And this is a glorious life. Your King is a glorious King. The promise of Jesus that whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live, this is not a promise that everyone will receive. Everyone will be resurrected. Do not marvel at this, Jesus says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The promise of life, the promise of the resurrection of life comes to those who believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus will share His resurrection life with you. And the purpose of that resurrection life is not just to provide you with a pain-free experience so that you can go and do whatever you want for the rest of eternity. And the purpose of the resurrected life is not just to provide you with a pain-free existence so that you can float around on a cloud playing a harp and singing songs in a perpetual church service for the rest of eternity. No, the promise of the resurrection life is to give you the hope that you will spend the rest of forever glorifying God by doing what He created you to do to the best of your ability in the name of the Jesus who saves you. Jesus lives so that one day you will live. So that one day you will reign on the earth with Him and have dominion over all the earth with Him. Jesus intends for you to believe that because He was raised from the dead, He will also raise you from the dead. Do you believe this? If you are a Christian, do you see that death is on your side? You have nothing to fear. Though you die, yet shall you live. Do you love His appearing? Is the resurrection of Jesus good news for you? Do you believe that because He was resurrected, you too will be resurrected? Not to judgment, but to life? If you believe in Jesus as the Savior of your sins, this is your glorious future. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've come to realize that you will be resurrected, but not to the resurrection of life. Perhaps you came here this morning not believing in Jesus 
and headed to the resurrection of judgment. If that's you this morning, the hell you are facing is every bit as wretched as the heaven you heard described this morning is glorious. But the good news is that Jesus died for you. Jesus bore the judgment for your sins. So that if you would believe in Him, you will be saved. Jesus did something gloriously gracious and loving for you on Good Friday. And now, on Easter Sunday, He calls for you to believe in Him. Repent of your rebellion against Him and trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Look at Jesus and see the beauty of His gracious love for you and receive Him as the one who saves you from the power and the penalty of your sins. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This morning we commemorate the resurrection and the life of Jesus our Savior. The life of Jesus is our hope. We too will live. Because he lives, we will live as well. So let us love his appearing. Father, we have a glorious